0: Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where. How you were listening to this. I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 29 Albi Robles on a Haunted Mexican Mining Town. In this episode, I am fortunate to be joined by Albi Robles. Albi is a voice actor and the host of the Scare Me podcast, an excellent show in which his guests tell of their own spooky experiences or share stories of paranormal happenings that have frightened them. Albie's mission is very different than my own, but I very much enjoy the Scare Me podcast, and I suggest that you give it a listen. Albie will be discussing his own experience, as well as the experiences of his family, within and around a mining town in Mexico. Without further ado, here's the conversation. When I asked you to be on my podcast, you had suggested a uh, story regarding some of your own experiences. So why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yes. And the reason I thought that would be fun is that in your podcast, you typically are researching something that is a a legend or lore from somewhere. And this is just actually based on an experience that I had. Uh, This took place in Mexico. I I was born in Mexico. I'll be a short for Alberto. And I would go back to visit every year, even though I moved up here at the age of four, we'd always go, you know, several times a year, spent a lot of time in my childhood down there. And when I was in high school, I have a cousin down there who's around the same age. He's, he's a few months older. My visit there coincided with his graduation or rather the high school graduation of the school where he used to go because he moved away from that place in the years in between. But he still got to go uh, he still got invited to go to that high school graduation party, and, and so I went with him as well. We drove up together. High school graduation parties are very different down there because the legal drinking age is 18. And so you have like this banquet hall with waiters going from table to table taking like buckets of beer and, and different uh, forms of alcohol around. They're serving the, the students. And all the moms in the meantime are getting together at one's house and or maybe at a, in a group of houses that are they're making like basically menudo, which is a, a very hearty soup that a lot of Mexicans will use to to basically like sober up down there at least in that area and so that's kind of the tradition is that they go and they drink and then they they go with the to where the moms are cooking to kind of sober up it, it felt very strange, very different from what I was used to and of course, because of the you know, we didn't want to make a, a long drive that late at the night and night. So my cousin had arranged to, to stay in a room uh, at a little kind of a little inn down there. It's basically just somebody that had like four little rooms in a row kind of that they were renting out and we stayed in one of them. And that night I woke up and it's that strange sensation that you have when something wakes you up and you have a moment of you have a moment of confusion until whatever wakes you up shows itself again. Uh, you know, if, if the sound that you heard or the you know the, there's something that woke you up and for a little bit, you don't know what it was in this case, it was that sensation. But for a split second, because I woke up and looked up and immediately was locking eyes with with a person that was standing next to the bed. And not standing, they were stepping, they were mid they were mid stride when I when I when I, I made eye contact with this person and before their stride hit the ground, they were gone. So this person was in basically starting a step, you know, that I could tell they'd been walking and, and, they, and they had that little bit of, of momentum. And, and before that step ended, as their foot would have hit the ground, they were gone. And this had been a man I, I saw complete detail, a skinny man, shirtless thick kind of khaki colored pants, but they weren't like, you know, like khakis, like you and I wear, and they were tied together with a rope instead of with a belt. And he, he was bald, like shaved head bald and what had really stood out to me about him was that his skin had a yellowish tint to it, it and it looked like glitter could have, could have kind of been sprinkled around on him. like he was glittering around you know like just uh, it was very that was the detail that i noticed the most and once he was gone i just i was just still i was i was very scared i did not want to i did not want to close my eyes and miss if if he came back and, and him being there and me not knowing the thought of that was terrifying and at the same time, I didn't want to keep looking because if he came back, I didn't want to see him. And in the end, I just pulled my covers over my head. And I believe I waited until it was morning, but it's very likely that I that I fell back asleep at some point without realizing it. But when I told my cousin about it the next day, you know, he, 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 um, he kind of mentioned that some stuff had gone on with, with his family there. When we drove back, we got home. Uh, where, where, where I was staying, which is my grandparents' house there. We told his parents about that. And the first thing that they told me was his father who worked in the mines down there. This was a, a mining colony I didn't mention earlier. This is a little place where only employees of the of the mine live.
0: So it's a company town.
1: Yes. And okay. the houses are all kind of arranged in rows, but the nicer houses go to higher employees. So the higher up you move in the ranks, the the, the bigger a house you get. My uncle worked for that company for many years. That's why they had lived down there uh, for for as long as they had. He worked for that company for many years. And whenever in childhood, I would visit that cousin. It was always in those in those houses. And every couple of years, there would be in a new house down there because he kept moving up. What he told me, though, kind of confirmed me for me that I had seen something because I was on the fence of whether or not I had dreamt this. It it would make sense. Mm -hmm. But he told me that that yellowish sparkly look was very common to the miners because when they're down there digging, they're sweating, the minerals come down on their skin. And this particular mineral had a yellowish look to it and the minerals would, would, it would sparkle. And that's just something that I had no way of knowing. It's not anything that I, you know, maybe had seen on TV long before or anything. It just, it had never occurred to me (laughs) in my life that, Mining would do something to your skin other than the, you know, the coal, like in the cartoons and then the movies. So for me, that sealed the deal that this this is something I saw. But then my aunt, who's had several dreams and visions and stuff in her life that, that ended up coming true, which I talk about a couple of them in my podcast in different episodes. She told me about that whole area. And in that whole area, there are just many things that have happened that are supernatural and they've happened to different people at different times in different years, a lot of the, of similar experiences and in the same area. The first house that she and my uncle lived in down there, which was kind of one of the starter houses. It was a very, very small little house there, one of the smallest in the area in the, in that particular neighborhood. She was waiting him for him to come home. Uh, she was, And she was still awake at night when she heard the keys at the door, doorknob open, door open, footsteps come in, door closed. She heard him coming to the room. She thought, well, he doesn't know I'm still awake. I'm going to scare him. He goes over to the bed. He sits down. She feels the weight of him on the bed, turns around, ah, and there's nobody there. She's alone in the room, and he doesn't come home until later. And that was the, the first the first thing there. Uh, later on, when they moved to a house that was across the street from there, my cousin, his little sister, you know, so it's my other cousin who's who's a few years younger than we are, She would ask about the old couple that lived across the street that she always saw out in the garden at a time when that house was not occupied and at times when there was no one out in the yard. And then when she was older, she also had an experience where she was walking across that house because at this point they were moving, it was a few houses down the street on on the same side of the street as this house. And so she had to walk past it to get home from the little kind of uh, event center that they have there. And as she's walking past this house, she starts to hear keys in the lock. And the closer she gets, it's like in the movies when somebody's panicking, that that the person who's assailing them is, is getting closer and closer. You know, they the, the, she heard the keys start to speed up and they sounded more rushed and they sounded more panicked. And by the time she was passing the house and could clearly see the door, there's no one there. They were a, at a full frenzy. The second she crossed the line where the door would have been, it just stopped completely. Of course, she was very freaked out when she got home. My aunt was there with her two, uh, with her two sisters. And as my cousin told him that uh, two of the sisters had 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 the same experience walking by that same house. Another occasion where they were heading up to a party, they took a shortcut through the woods. This was somebody else in the neighborhood that told them about this. When she asked about the woman that had been in front of her in the woods that she had, had taken, the, uh, she'd kind of been following this woman uh, as kind of her her guide for which way to go. And she said, where's the lady that was in front of me? And they said there wasn't anybody. And it dawned on her at that point that she had not seen any feet on this woman, that there just weren't feet. And there should have been because of the length of the of the dress. They went on to tell me about not just this place, but this is close to a city in Mexico called Parral, which they told me has a reputation for being a pretty evil place. And I don't know if that's still the case now. You know, this was 20 or 30 years ago but that there was a lot of devil worship there and that there was, there were just always bad things happening. Like I I, like at a higher rate than, than in surrounding places. I don't know the veracity of that, but what they were telling me about that place um, when they all used to live there before they, they got the job at the colony and my cousins were, I don't think they were born yet or they were maybe, I don't think they would have been born yet. So this was my aunt uh, moving into a house with her two sisters there. And, this house was attached to a building that used to be a bar. And, you know, this would have been a long time ago, and it was old then. So this would have been an old-timey bar, uh, who knows, like early 1900s or so. And it was supposed to be a particularly rowdy, bad place. When they first got there, they had a priest come in and bless it because of the reputation that place had. And that night, my aunt woke up feeling weight on the bed and looking up and seeing a person looking down at her with just this absolute look of hatred and rage in their eyes. And she, she just woke up to the, just snapped her eyes open. And then that person was standing on her bed, looking down at her. And the person jumped off the bed, ran to the window and jumped out second floor window. And when she when she told her sisters about that the next day, they, they had witnessed the same thing. The, the like e- each of them individually though had seen the person above their own bed. I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out. I I think I, I, I tell all of these stories in one of the episodes of my podcast. And so if I'm leaving something out, it'll be it'll be in that episode during the introduction. And, and to clarify, I, I have my own story of, of my experience in one as the intro to one episode, and then what my family told me as as the intro to the next.
0: So these are really fascinating stories for a few reasons to me. And here I'm going to be the smart-ass anthropologist now. Of course. course. (laughs) One thing is these are classic. When you get away from old urban legends and so when you start talking to people about their actual experiences, what you've described fits several patterns. And I just, I find that in of itself fascinating. I don't know what that means, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting. (laughs) You know, the waking up and seeing somebody hovering over your bed, which you experienced and also your aunt experienced, and then having that person vanish in your case, Mid-Stride is a little more classic, although I've read and heard plenty of people describe things very much like what your aunt experienced. So that's interesting to me. Now, you're going to get people trying to explain it any number of ways, but you know, even if you were able to show that there are no ghosts, then in a way that makes that even more interesting because if that's the case, why does this type of experience frequently happen? and frequently happen upon waking. I'm fascinated by the fact that this type of story spreads pretty far and wide. One thing that's interesting to me about your personal experience is you're not sure whether or not you went back to sleep, you said. Most of the time when I hear these stories, you know, somebody will say, I saw this happened, it scared me, and then I fell right back to You know, I've always thought, well, that seems to be a pretty good indication that you know, this is something maybe physiological in nature, whereas you were frightened enough that you were awake for a while afterwards. That's a bit unusual. I find that pretty interesting.
1: Yes, I, I mean, I, I downright fought sleep. And I think for years I would tell people, and I think I was convinced that I never did go back to mm-hmm. sleep, you know, that I that I stayed through the rest of the night, that this must have been at four in the morning or something and that I was up. But now that I'm more familiar with that feeling of, of trying to stay awake for that mm-hmm. long and and having had occasions where where you kind of doze off and, and not realize it for for a few minutes, it's I think it's likely that I maybe did, but yeah, there's no way to know for sure. If anything, I was more sure of, of the other side of that that I that I did not go back to sleep.
0: Sure. Now, given that this is a company town and your family lives and works there, is it okay to say the name of the town?
1: Yes, that's uh, called uh, San Francisco de Oro.
0: I have not been able to find what is mined there. I don't know either. Oh, I, I okay. never,
1: I never asked what, what was mine there. It was, you know, my cousins lived there through, like I said, through most of my childhood. And then when we went into, you know, being teenagers, they moved over to Chihuahua where the rest of my family lived, my grandparents and stuff. And once they moved out there, that's the visits all turned to going over there. And, you know, as, as a kid going down there being little, I, I never, you never question a lot of people's jobs and stuff, you know, when, when you're little, you just accept that they work and, I had no interest in, in asking what was mined there and any of that. I, I just knew that there was a little clubhouse we could go to in a pool and that we could go
0: to the clubhouse and ask for snacks and tell them to put it on the tab. <laughs> so I, I don't know why this didn't occur to me earlier, but it suddenly dawned on me that it's a company town. I can look up who owns it and then find out what they mine. Zinc. Oh, zinc. Yeah, okay. So Okay. And you were saying that uh, your family had told you that the yellowish skin and the sparkle is pretty common for zinc miners.
1: Well, yeah, for the miners, yeah, mm-hmm. they had they hadn't specified zinc, but yes, they said that the that the miners there had a would commonly look like that.
0: And the shaved head and shirtless is that also fairly common for the miners who work there, or would it have been at one point in time?
1: That they he didn't mention specifically, okay. but I always just felt that because of the detail of the rope mm-hmm. that this was would have been a minor not from that time but this would have been from much earlier sure where there were less precautions and there were you know that there Mm. was just more people just doing what they could until they got too hurt to do it or too old to do
0: it yeah so uh some of the other stories you told i think again very much classic stories in a lot of ways um your aunt hearing the door open somebody walk in assuming it's her husband and then having nobody be there Again, very classic story. In fact, I listened to another podcast called Anything Ghost, where people send in their stories, and that has been repeated essentially by a number of people who write into that, and I've read it plenty of other places. So it seems to be a fairly common experience. Is it the same aunt who uh, had the experience in the former bar? Yes. Okay, so then uh, she experienced that twice. So again, it's, it's an interesting common experience, and it just leads me to wonder, why is this something that people repeatedly report you know
1: well in her case as as i said she's had different things going on in her life that Mm -hmm. to me indicate that she maybe is more sensitive to such things when they visited her father before he passed away and he wasn't particularly ill or anything but she knew that would be the last time like she just started crying when they left Mm -hmm. Uh, very hard they asked her what is it and she said that's the last time i'm going to see him Mm. and it turned out to be true but in another one of my intros i told the story about when they went out of town and she woke up in the middle of the night to see this huge chunk of ceiling falling down onto her. Then she woke up. It had been a dream. And she was just out of breath, startled, everything. They drove back to find that their upstairs had flooded. Mm-hmm. And the water had soaked through the through the floor of the upstairs, which had caused water damage where a large chunk of plaster fell down exactly where she sleeps on her bed, usually. And she wasn't there, so it didn't get her. But. But she's had stuff like this all her life to the point where and I don't know if anything happened this particular time. But I remember her cleaning the house one time. And this is when she first started telling me about all this stuff. She knocked something over and broke it and just a little trinket or something. And she started crying. And then I said, why are you crying? And she said, something bad's going to happen. Every time I break something, something bad happens. And she seemed sure enough that something would because it was she just never broke things unless something was coming up.
0: Is there anybody else in your family who's uh, reported experiences like that or just your aunt?
1: The closest uh, would be on the other side of my family. Uh, my father has two sisters who are twins and they've always felt something when the other one has something going on. So when one of them is, is experiencing something bad. The other one is getting upset and doesn't understand why. And when one of them was pregnant, the other one would get morning sickness. <laughs> Uh, So they've always had that stuff going on. But that's that's the only other experience I can think of
0: that anybody in the family might have had, to my knowledge, at least. And you may not know the answer to this question, and that's fine if you don't. But I'm curious, as I was saying, a lot of what you describe as having happened both at the former bar and in San Francisco del Oro, which All Spanish speaking listeners will know that my attempt at any sort of Mexican or Spanish accent is terrible. I'm (laughs) not going to insult anybody, by trying because it will just sound horrible. They are very common types of experiences in a lot of the ghost stories that permeate the US and Europe. You may not know this, but are those also common types of experiences people report in Mexico?
1: Yeah, I honestly don't know the answer to that because like I said, this was my experience and then the experiences that my family told me about. Mm-hmm. but despite my visits down there i grew up in the u.s right and so i don't know as much of the folklore down there as, as i would have had if, if i'd grown up there sure sure so you know i i'm sure that i heard little ghost stories here and there as a as a kid mm-hmm. but not enough of them to or at least none that i really remembered that stuck with me uh into adulthood so i yeah, I don't, I don't know what all gets told or talked about down there uh, frequently.
0: Yeah. Well, it can also be a little interesting because uh, since we live in the southwestern US, you know, there's a lot and there has been since, you know, the late 18th century, a lot of interaction with Mexico. So I think that there's a lot of bleed over as far as both folklore, but also the type the way that people describe their experiences with things that they can't understand because you have populations that are constantly interacting oh yes
1: you know i do know that down there there's a lot more belief in that kind of thing to where i think it's not seen quite as uncommon as it is here or quite as quickly dismissed Mm -hmm. you know down there you have hugely catholic population a lot of which still will will pray to saints you know you, you you lose something you you pray to saint anthony i think it is and Mm -hmm. there are different saints that you pray to like like they each have their own specialty and if you need this particular thing you'll pray to this particular saint and we have a, a dia de san juan down there in which i don't know if it's through all of mexico but it was in that town i remember everybody just kind of being on the lookout because the tradition was on that day you're gonna get somebody wet you know people would hang around hiding behind corners with water balloons with their they'd be out in their front yards with hoses and as people were driving by they if you had your window down they you know they they'd, they'd put their hose in there they'd they, spray it in there and they pelt cars with water balloons or, or people walking by like they're, they're they're running around with water guns and everybody knew to be on the lookout you keep your windows up you, you just you don't mess around on that day or you're going to get soaked and i remember seeing this and being fascinated because it was it wasn't like oh it's the neighborhood like we would drive to the store or something and you'd see it everywhere. Like it's just it all over. There were people doing this. It was, it was crazy. And so you're celebrating these specific days for specific saints, uh, having prayers to specific saints. And, you know, you have down there like the curanderos, mm-hmm. which is kind of a Mexican witch doctor and going to a lot of the little shops down there, you see the candles and statues of the, of these saints and uh, just different figures. Uh, some of which are uh, supernatural figures, some of which are, Pretty scary figures that people will make a shrine to or will make they'll keep these as a some kind of good luck charm to, to bring them luck in a particular endeavor, you know, to gain wealth, you get this one and and whatnot. And so there's definitely a lot more openness to to things that are supernatural or abnormal down there.
0: You know, back when I was still actively doing archaeological field work, um, and I'd work in Southern California, it was not uncommon in certain places to find, you know, small shrines with a candle to a saint in the middle of it. Almost always an out-of-the-way place, somewhere that wouldn't be clearly visible unless you knew it was there, or, you know, like me, you were some idiot wandering through the Manzanita. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'd come across them, and it was always kind of fascinating to see what people left there next to it
1: crazy you, you, there there are just things left all around that you have no idea that i i found in uh-huh. in new mexico there was an old graveyard uh where all the graves are from either very early 1900s or late 1800s and if you heard the episode i had about the killings down there mm-hmm. uh, this is the graveyard that that five name gravestone is in it's the same place there was a little grave that had a little basket hanging off of it and being in high school and, and, you know, foolish and not having quite the respect one should have for such things. Uh, my friends and I went and we opened it up and there was little scraps of paper in there and there was like a little rolled up little uh, coil of hair. Like, like it was just like a little, little braid of hair. And then we put it right back in and, and left. we, we it freaked us out a little bit. You just stumble onto things here and there that at some point they made sense to someone, and there's an explanation at the time, but that isn't there anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm often fascinated by a lot of the kind of folk magic traditions that you get and how they spread items on the landscape that you might not expect to be there, but that's getting into (laughs) archaeology, actually. (laughs) There's actually some archaeologists who specifically have gone out to study locations where people have left what they usually refer to as offerings, whether or not the people who left them think of them that way is often open to question. But uh, yeah, locks of hair are common, pieces of paper with information that's relevant to whatever they were doing. Cigarettes, probably one of the most common things.
1: I think I'm trying to think of there was that in there. There was, there was something else. There's something that I'm forgetting that was in there that I, I can't think of what it was. I don't think it was cigarettes. I don't think they would have lasted quite as long.
0: It's always fun going to the uh, society for California archeology span meetings. And uh, there's always sessions that are run by and paneled by native American leaders. And they will spend a good chunk of some of them complaining about all the new age people who are going and polluting rock art sites by leaving things behind. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that's that's a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Although I typically try to include discussion of what makes a story transmissible and what the wide telling of a story likely says about the tellers themselves and our society, this isn't really a useful approach when someone tells you of their own experiences, as those experiences are being relayed directly and not part of uh, the general folklore. But there are some things worth noting in what Albie had to say. As was said during the discussion, many of the elements of the stories that Albie shared are fairly common in people's reported ghostly experiences. Waking to find someone in the room who quickly vanishes, though the man jumping out of the window in Albie's aunt's room was an unusual take on that. Hearing footsteps in the house at night and feeling pressure on the bed, only to see empty space where your other senses say there should be a person. Seeing somebody walking, only to discover that they have no feet or that their feet aren't touching the ground. These are common elements of the ghostly experiences that people have related to me, and that I've read about in various accounts over the years. You can certainly discount some of these as people simply wanting to tell a story. And other examples may be people's memories creating details to fit in and put a clearer narrative to misperceived or otherwise confusing events. But the commonality of such elements among people who claim to have had paranormal experiences is interesting in of itself, and I don't think every example can be explained so simply. In a paper that I recently read, sociologist James McLennan argued that common elements and supernatural experiences suggested that such experiences were not strictly cultural constructs, but rather had some basis in the real world outside of the individual and outside of the culture. While he stopped shy of suggesting that the real world elements were supernatural, I felt that he strongly implied it, and I am a bit less likely to assume that something unexplained is necessarily supernatural, rather than simply being, well, unexplained. If you don't know the explanation, that doesn't make it a ghost. It just means you don't know the explanation. But I do think that McLennan is essentially correct. Just as many instances of people waking to see demons or witches or shadow people are now known to be natural phenomena associated with sleep paralysis, there is every possibility that other common elements of ghostly encounters are also natural phenomena not currently understood. Of course, if it turns out that ghosts are real, then I suppose that they would be included amongst those phenomena. Another thing worth commenting on is that, upon telling his family of his experience, Alby was told of his family members' experiences. This makes sense in a couple of ways. First, as he had had a frightening experience, his family could provide comfort by putting that experience into context. No, he's not crazy. And yes, the experience may have been frightening, but it was likely harmless and is consistent with what other members of the family have also gone through. Second, whether intended or not, it initiated him into a type of interaction with his family members, Now he, too, had experienced something strange and inexplicable, and it was safe to let him know of other people's tales. I want to thank Albi Robles for being so giving of his time. This episode consists of only half of our conversation, and in the next episode we will discuss a well-known and rather creepy urban legend from Chihuahua, Mexico. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own... Or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G H O S T H R O P O L O G Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the ghostthropology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!